All right, they say you can tell a lot about a guy by sitting down with his parents. Today, I've got my father here on the podcast to tell you everything about how the Duke of Digital came to be. Presented by Advertise Mint. The Duke of Digital will guide you through the rapidly changing landscape of digital marketing, social media, and how to grow your business online. To submit a question for the show, text 323-821-2044 or visit dukeofdigital.com. If you need an expert to fix your ads, the friendly team at Advertise Mint is ready to help. Visit AdvertiseMint, that's M-I-N-T, dot com or call 844-236-4686 to grow your business. Here's your host, Brian Miet. All right, I am excited today. I have got uh, a very special person in my life uh, to be on the show, which is my father, Arnold Miert. And I am glad and welcome to be here. It is delight to have a wonderful son by the name of Brian who does incredible things. Uh, I paid him 20 bucks to say that. Um, so what's interesting is I was like, Hey dad, I've got this podcast. I want you to be on the podcast. Will you come do it? And he was like, Hey, uh, what, what, what's a podcast? And I was like, Oh, I love that even more that you're like, I'm oh, too busy for whatever it is, is, these little new technology things you guys are doing. Um, so thank you very much for taking the time uh, to come and be here on the show. I, I, I really, really wanted to run through a variety, a couple of different stories that, you know, you and I talk about all the time or that we've had as memories. But I, what I have realized over the last couple years, especially in doing business, is how lucky and blessed I was to have a, a father and some of the things that you did in my life that I just thought were normal or, you know, it was just whatever was going on. And, and later on in life to realize, whoa, I really lucked out to have someone that taught me a certain thing or steered me a certain way. Um, and that's, I wanted to run through a couple of fun stories that we could go through on that today, um, and be able to share that with, with our listeners. So, you know, to begin, tell us, uh, you know, where, where you're from, what you do, fill everyone in on all the details. In 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Take as long as you want. Born in Wisconsin, near the Green Bay Packer Stadium, grew up in Miami, Florida, uh, spent my college years roaming around the U.S., and uh, wound up in uh, Sacramento, California, where I've been for the last 40 years. Ooh, go Kings. Uh, they <laughs> never win much, but we love them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, anyway, I work for Kaiser Permanente. It's a healthcare company. And I'm a nurse anesthetist, and I've been doing that with them for 40 years now and still going strong. Oh, I love that. It, it is crazy to think of you know, 40 years at a career. And that's we'll get into that because I've got some questions about that. Um, what some interesting facts as you're saying that you said you grew up in Green Bay. If there are any Packer fans there, there was one summer where my parents were like, we're going to go take you where we grew up. And my dad was like, yeah, we grew up near Lambeau Stadium. We drive up to a house that is kitty corner from Lambeau Stadium, meaning you could get on the roof and look through kind of the split in the stadium and see the players on the field. And I was like, you could watch football from your house. He's like, oh, yeah, I told you. We grew up next to Lambeau Stadium. And I was like, it's literally next to Lambeau Stadium. Um, and and I, I love that. I had creative parents who actually, at the age of eight and nine, let me walk by myself or with a brother or sister across, and we would go in the um, gate for the, the media and walk up and down the stairs and watch the ball game. From the stairs. So you didn't from have the seats, stairs. but you just go cruise around. 
no, inside uh -huh. the stadium. Oh, I love that. We just parked cars in our front yard till you couldn't put any more in. Nice. Okay. Well, I want to jump in. You know, you guys had one of the stories that I remember you telling me was about the element of how you chose your career, meaning what made you want to go into the medical field. And I remember you saying something about when you were a kid, there was another person that you know, and his dad worked in the medical field. Is that was that right? Very much so. My parents very highly encouraged medical. They thought that was a good service to humanity. So I came from a strong encouragement in that area. And I had two classmates in high school whose dad, both of their dads, were nurse anesthetists. And I didn't know what that was. I had to ask them. And I just remember saying, they're in surgery, and they're watching surgery, and they're doing anesthesia. And I would just love to do that. That sounded exciting and thrilling. And I said, that's what I want to do having no clue of where I was going or what that journey would take. Oh, nice. Okay. I, man, I always love that because there was a, a moment that you were like, I saw it from an early age. Cause I mean, I feel like there's a lot of people that today are like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. But at an early age, you kind of knew that was the direction you wanted to go. It was one of the directions, but it was a highly sought after one. It paid decently. It wasn't a real high paid job. But it sounded like something I would enjoy, something I'd never done, something exciting, thrilling. I get to work with doctors and see surgery and see the insides of people. And I don't know, some people would run from that. I ran toward that. Yeah, I think it's incredible. Like, I mean, technically, for anyone that's listening, you know, you are the one that puts people to sleep when they operate. So if there is someone that's giving you a hard time or talking too much, you just boom. They're out. That's it. <laughs> Some people like the profession because they don't have to talk to their patients the whole time. <laughs> I love it because there was a time, you know, when I was growing up that I thought I wanted to go into, you know, the medical field as well. And I remember asking you, can I come as a kid and watch you work? And you were like, you know, you technically can't do it until you're 18, but then I can bring you into the operating room. And when I turned 18, I was like, dad, I want to go see. And you're like, okay, let's do it. And I remember we went to the hospital one time mm -hmm. and there was only one time and they were operating on a brain and you were like, you have lucked out. It's like, you have won the lottery. This is incredible. I, I don't see a lot of these. They're operating on a brain today. And so I go in and they bring in this lady and, and there's two things that shocked me from that. One was that the doctor pulls out like a, a little buzzsaw, a mini buzzsaw, which was the exact same one that was at Home Depot. And I was like, what? That's where they get their tools from. Like I was expecting like these space age and it was like something from Home Depot. And and I remember he cut a little triangle in her school and, and you know, with like not tweezers, but pliers, pulled out her school and, and there is, you know, what looks like just kind of a like spaghetti. Um, mm -hmm. But he got a little fiber optic tube and put it in there and it was on this giant uh, flat screen TV. And as he's going in to do the, you know, to find whatever it is he needed to fix, it's just like spaghetti hitting up against the plasma TV, but huge. It was all bloody and everything's like as he pushed the, the fiber optic in. And I just remember being like woozy and being like, oh, man, I, I got to I got to sit down. I, Dad, I don't know if I'm going to do that. And then I remember the doctors that were in the room were like, hey, Arnold. Yeah, you got a winner there. Look at that guy. He's gonna he's not going to make it long. And they, I remember them joking at me and I was like, I'm not going to I'm not going to make it. I had to go sit down because of the blood. It was tough thing. And that was the day I realized I was probably going to go into business. <laughs> <laughs> we all have our different, our different <laughs> takes and how things go. Um, and uh, that, that was, it was a clipping of a, a brain aneurysm, which is way down the center of the brain. 
and it's a very delicate surgery and takes a lot of anesthesia specialty because we've got to drop the blood pressure very low right when the doctor clips it. Um, and so it was, I was doing a lot while you were watching, and I can remember the doctor actually saying, Brian, come up here and look through the microscope, look down in the middle, see this, that, and the yeah. other, uh, and showed you different stuff because he had kids that were your age at the same time, and he could identify. Oh, nice. I, I, I remember him being like, come look, and I'd be like peeking in, like, okay, cool, I saw it. Yeah, all right. <laughs> was it, like, it was, it was rough. Uh, I just, I don't know. I'm, I just don't do well with blood. It's weird. It's always, always been that way. Um, That's okay. Not everybody is meant for medical. Well, one of the things that I have gotten from my friends or people that know you is that you always seem to be abundantly happy or like just happy with life, happy with everything. Um, and it's something that I'd, I would agree with them on. That I've had that as an example of someone that's going through life that just has a, a good frame of reference on, hey, some things are not a big deal and focus on what matters. And you just generally seem to be happy. And, and that was something that you know, I wanted to ask you, like, is there, where does that come from inside of you? Like what fuels that? Because there's a lot of people that you know, there's days that, you know, I'm just like, oh man, You're, you know, in the business world, there's all sorts of things that are happening back and forth and unexpected things, or you could be doing great. And then something happens and your, you know, your business takes a turn and you've got to try to scramble to figure things out. There's a lot of hustle with ups and downs, emotional ups and downs, you know, physical ups and downs, a lot of stuff that goes on, but you always seem to be happy. Is that just, are, are you good at hiding the moments when you're upset or is, you know, is there a secret there that we can share with others? I, I don't know that I'll have one specific secret. I, I think life consists of a, a lot of different things that all come together, either in your past or your attitudes or your approaches or the resources you read and look at and follow that guide you in a, in a direction. Um, I grew up with parents that were extremely positive. They wanted nothing negative in my life. They didn't want to ever hear, have me hear an argument, a fight, uh, anything that was bad. They very much limited when TV came out. They very much limited because they didn't want me hearing um, things that were ugly or nasty or seeing people being killed. And so I grew up in a very positive, extremely positive environment that was, I think, very strong in affecting me and saying, you know, I saw my parents' desires there. Okay. And I began, and as, I, as I got through teenage years and into young adult, began to realize that there was a lot of good in the positive and the negative really drew me down. And so what do I want to do with my life? I want to stay on the positive side. I don't want to be in the negative side that's drawing me down, that's hindering me, that's keeping me from being successful, uh, that's keeping me from being happy. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one one story that I remember is I remember you coming home, and I remember how old I was. I was probably still in high school, and you came home and said, "There, the position, the leadership position in my department, is open." And I was like, "Dad, hey, are you gonna do it? Like, are you, you're gonna jump in and take it? You get to be the boss. You get that means you get to sit back and tell everyone else what to do. This is gonna be great." And I remember your answer. You're like, "No, I I don't want to do it." And I was like, well, I don't understand. Like for me, I was like, it doesn't compute. Like you always just go up until you eventually become, you know, the president, I guess, or, you know, you make your way to the top. And I remember your answers. You're like, I'm happy doing what I want. And the boss a lot of times comes with headaches and fights and arguments and a lot of elements that go back and forth. 
Um, and to some extent, I'm really happy. I like doing my job. I like being able to walk out and not have it follow me home. And I remember like you just said it and then you walked out of the room and I was like, like I had just spoken to a man on a mountaintop getting wisdom. Like I was like, what? Like you can be happier not going to the top. Cause you know, very much, you know, in American, I think society, it's all about, you know, going up and, and making your way up the ladder. Um, but you were like, no, I'm extremely happy where I am. And I want to keep that. I want to preserve that. What, any thoughts on that? Definitely. Um, one looks at their skills and their abilities and realizes you have some and you can make others happen and you can you can work on different areas to become very successful. Um, I realized that in the world of anesthesia, what I did incredibly best was giving anesthesia. Supervisory work, I could do okay, I could manage, I would be probably a mediocre person as a boss. But as a nurse anesthetist, that was my area of expertise. And when I looked at my colleagues, I stayed near the top of the realms of the kind of cases, the difficulty of the cases, um, how you came through, how your patients came through. And no, I'm not here to say I'm better than somebody else. Oh, I can say that. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, keep going. <laughs> but I realized that that is where I would do my best. And I had seen this in other people who had opportunities to advance. And they said, you know what? This is where my gift is. And rather than sitting in an office and just managing things, I can be extremely productive here and do a great, uh, to me, service to the world, to society, to my profession, and to myself. I like that. I think that's what they refer to as like playing to your strengths, mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, if you are at a, a seven or eight of something, like you can work your way to a nine or a 10. Um, but if you're at a two or three of something, you know, even if you work hard at it, you know, you'll most likely be a, a five or a six, which is still, again, you know, kind of mediocre. But I actually love, I love that, that that was, you, know, you focused on what was, what you were the best at and was like, how do I get that to a 10 level or to the, the very you know, cream of the crop in my industry? Um, you know, and I was looked up to and for my profession as a leader, I got a lot of questions coming to me saying, how do you do this? How do you manage this case? How do you do that? Um, I worked very closely with a lot of physicians in tailor making cases to work for them, the anesthetic to work for them. And so this was an area that I excelled in and I really didn't want to leave that. Nice. Well, one, one of the things I wanted to, to, you know, get to is your number. This is what I would rank as your number one piece of advice that you have given me in my life. Meaning of all the pieces of advice, this is the one that's come out multiple times and I would think risen to the top. You ready? Do you know what it is? You have to tell me. Okay. Okay. So this is good. Um, so this would be a phrase that you've said to me on numerous times where I'm talking to you about a situation I'm in or either something with school or relationship or, you know, business as we'll sit down and have conversations and you say, choose your battles. <laughs> I would think that's the number one piece of advice mm -hmm. I've gotten from you. So walk me through where that came from and what's your um, kind of mindset behind that piece of advice. Um, I don't know. That's an age-old saying that I've heard in many people on different times. Um, when we were growing up and you were little, we listened to a lot of success tapes, a lot of different stories. We went to seminars and other things. It was repeated commonly there. And as I heard that, I began to watch. And I would see people 
who would fight worthless battles and spend horrendous amounts of time and energy, and by the time it was all done, they had wasted a year of their life. And I said, I only have so many years. I want to spend it on productive things, not non-productive things. So as a consequence, you begin to look, you begin to see, and you say, okay, I choose to fight this battle, or I choose not to fight it, or I choose to work it in a way wherein we have a win-win situation. I'm in the middle of one right now. I got called yesterday. Um, we own an office building, and we lease to a couple of the th units are leased to lawyers. Yep. And uh, one of the lawyers was to have a bunch of uh, tenant improvements done. Well, the guy who did them did half of them, and he didn't finish the other ones, didn't say boo. And now all of a sudden we got a letter from the lawyer saying, okay, I want decreased rent because these weren't done, da 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 and I get a call from my management company. Um, and I look now and say, okay, what do I want to fight in this battles? I've got a management company that's incredibly good, and here one time they messed up. I've got a, a, a tenant who I'd love to keep and keep happy. Is it worth it to compromise a little bit here, or do I be the hardcore and say, I'm going to fight this battle, and we're, I was our error, and I didn't know about it, but that's okay. Do I fight my management company, or do I bite this one and just take it? And when we got down to the dollar amount, the dollar amount was not that significant, and I said, okay, I want to keep my good management company. I want to keep my, my um, tenant happy. I'm going to have to bite this one. So it's a battle I chose, if I want to say not to fight, or fight in a way that didn't involve a lot of money and time and energy. Uh, and hopefully we come out with a win-win-win. Oh, I, I love it. It's just crazy how you know that has been planted and embedded inside of me. And there's been numerous occasions where I want to fight for something. Like, I know I'm right. Mm -hmm. um, I know that I would probably win. But I look at the scenario, and I'm like, man, it, it's just going to be a long battle, and I'm going to fight for this little piddly something at the end of it or just the pride of knowing um, I was right. And it's just – it's. I think it leads back to the element that is so, you know, adamant with you, which is happiness. And I think that's one of the best ways to remain happy is – you know, to pick the battles that you want to fight. And I would generally say 80 to 90% of them probably shouldn't have, have been fought. Or you, there's a way that you can get to a middle ground or just be like, hey, you know what? You win this one and, and walk away. Um, now, when those 10 to 20% do come up, it's time to fight. I put on the war paint and run out like Braveheart <laughs> because then I have all my energy that I didn't spend on the other 80. Yeah. And I'll go in and dominate and be like, this is it. I'm in and, you know, I, I'm in and making you know the moves happen and you know just come at it with a ferocity that uh that helps me get to where ultimately i win but i think it's something that has always stuck with me i don't tell a lot of other people that advice but it's one of those things that has just gotten me very very far in business and every time i see it play out i'm like man that is just a good nugget piece of advice when i was in nurse anesthesia school and we're going back 47 years now a long time ago one of my instructors walked up to me early on and looked at me in the face and said, listen, I don't know if you're cut out for this profession or not. There are some things in watching the way you react and act that doesn't look like you have confidence in yourself. And I went like, wow, I spent all of my time trying to get into a position. I finally got into school. It's hard to get in. And here I am, and I've got one of my professors um, saying, maybe you're not good enough. Maybe you should just quit. And I said to myself, this is a battle I want to fight. And I went home and I said, okay, 
What do I need to do to look confident, to give confidence to the people I work with, to the patients I talk to? And I stood in front of the mirror and I would go to work and I would listen to doctors talk to their patients before surgery. And I'd come home and say, what was the tone of voice? What were the words they chose? How did they pause? How did they react? How did they do everything? And I'd stand in front of the mirror and talk to myself and listen and say, are you speaking with confidence? Are you speaking with authority? Are you speaking like you really know what you want to do? And it was one of probably the major changing points in my life because it taught me I needed to look at myself in the mirror and make improvements so I could be what I really wanted to be. That was a battle worth fighting. Now, it, it, you mentioned that right there. Um, and there's only, there's been one time, you've told me this story one time in my entire life. So 40 years on this planet, there's only one time, it's when I was going through an extremely difficult time. We went up, I think, to Lake Tahoe. We were walking around, maybe they had like a helicopter. It was like a firefighting and they let us crawl around in it and jump in the pilot seat and take some photos. Um, but you told me that, and this goes, I'll have a point after this, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a teacher, you were um, a male nurse studying, and there was a teacher that w kicked you out or wanted to kick you out of the program because you were male. Is that true? That's very true. Now, we, we've got to take a moment. That is not today. That was 53 yes. years yeah, ago, yeah. and we lived in a different time and culture. And sometimes you have to look back and realize that men were not generally nurses back then. There were only a few of them. They were considered kind of different and weird because you went into a female profession. Um, and there were a lot of people who had very much strong concerns about that. So my point here would be, I have friends that get a parking ticket and I will hear them complain about that and how the world is unfair and everyone's out to get them for the next, for years and years and years. You had someone who was like, because you're male, I'm gonna find a way to kick you out of a school. And I remember because in this story, they did, did it work? They, they did actually kick you out? Yeah. Okay. There were three of us men in, in the nursing program, and we flipped to a different hospital in a different location. And the first time the evaluation came around, the chief um, nurse over the program there didn't like men, and we didn't know this. And she booted all three of us out, and then we were promptly told by all the other female nurses and the nursing students that this happened every single time. And it, was, it hit us blindsided. Nobody said anything before that. So what I love is what you said at the end of this story which to some people, this would be a monumental, you know, issue of, man, I was treated unfairly. This is wrong. This is not right. I should seek justice. And you were like, in this story, you're telling me this up in Lake Tahoe, you're like, they, they kicked you out. And I had a shock on my face. Like, you gotta be kidding me. Who's this lady? Where do we find her? Let's go back and confront her. Like, that's what's going through my head. And you were like, no, I just, I went and went to another hospital, another school. I enrolled in another school and got in and finished my program. As if it was the nothing and it moved on from it, it was like, ah, eh, whatever. That's one person's opinion of whatever the scenario is. They're behind me and you were off and moving as if you that, that big issue to you was the littlest of tiny speed bumps. 
at the time it was a big speed bump. Oh, okay. I mean, nobody can get, it's the first time I've been kicked out of school, you know. So it was like, that was, that was a big deal to me. But you look at the support people you have that help you change and look at the way you think of things. And I called up my parents and said, I just got kicked out of school for being a male nurse. And I am tired. I'm angry. I want nothing to do with oh, a Oh, so you were. Work. Okay. I was angry for a short time period. I was very angry. And my well, parents... Like, like five minutes or what? Like no, it was a couple of days. Oh, okay. okay. I, I, my parents says, listen, hold on. Don't do anything stupid. And give us tomorrow. We'll, we'll think things through. We'll call you back in the morning. They call me back in the morning and says, you know what? There's this other school. It's not far away. I think you can get in. It's a brand new school. They're just starting. It's a, it's a two-year nursing school again. Um, and so I gave them a call out of respect to my parents. And they said, you know what? We like you. Come on up. I had to wait for the money for a bus ticket from my parents. I said I was going to hitchhike, and they wouldn't let me. Um, so I had to wait for the money. From, but went up there, and in actuality, it turned out a better experience up there it was a school I fit in better with, I excelled better at. I had to repeat a few classes, but by the time I was done repeating those classes, I was super at what I was doing because I'd heard it twice, I'd learned it twice, and I was far ahead of my other um, students and, or colleagues in, in the nursing program. It gave me the confidence to begin to move more aggressively and readily in life and be more successful at what I did. This was just shocking to me because it seemed like just a little, you know, bump for you. You know, what would your advice be for other people that have had something, you know, horrific or unfair or just wrong or happened to them? And, you know, it, you know, it happens in life and I wish that the world was perfect and it's not. And part of, you know, in going through business, I realized, man, life isn't fair and life isn't perfect, but, and, but bad things still happen to people. What's your advice to those, those people? Number one, I had parents, a support person somewhere, okay. that'd be parents. Um, you've got support people. That's why it's good to have friends in a profession, friends in the business that you can turn to and say, how do I pick up? How do I move on from this? Um, there's never such a, an event that totally destroys you. In other words, you've got potential to turn around, to pick up, move on. You're going to have chance to. Did you learn something from it? Are you going to move on from it? Um, those are the kind of things you've got to focus on. And when you put your focus on how do I turn this around and be successful now? How do I move beyond this? Yes, it hit me blindsided. I, I wasn't ready for it. Yes, I cried. I felt bad, you know, but we, it turned in, what you got to do is allow a bad situation to turn around and become a good one. And you may have to search and find the right people to help you become successful. That's good. That's great. Yeah. Great answer. Um, that's fa fa fascinating. Let's, I want to pivot for a minute and talk about something that's near and dear to my heart, which is the fact that when I was, you guys put me to work, I felt like, I was like, hey, mom, dad, I'm going to kindergarten. And you're like, and you'll go to work afterwards. And it wasn't that bad, but it felt like at an <laughs> early age, you were always structuring life has work and you need to be a part of that. And, you know, for me, I just, you know, as a kid, you grow it up, there was, there's definitely play. And I would say an element of our home was, you know, get the work done and then let's go play. So there was always mm -hmm. a, a really good upside at the end of ever doing the work. Um, but I, I always remember that you guys put me to work at an early age, meaning like I had a paper route. I feel like when mm -hmm. I was like eight or 10, I remember standing on, you know, the street corners, uh, selling candy bars, like 
if they were to have you know you, a, a fundraiser at school, you after every day of school, you'd be like, all right, pick them up, grab a box, let's go. And you guys, you or mom would sit with me and be like, go ask that person, go talk to that person and just keep emphasizing the, the power of work and getting out there and, and trying to hustle. I mean, even with the paper route, I remember you guys would drive me the first couple of times to make sure I was safe. Um, and then when I got big enough, you put me on a bike and I'm like, hey, go do it. But the upside of that was that at the age of probably 10, or was it 10, maybe 12? I forget. I was young. Mm -hmm. I had a paycheck. I had money coming in. And that, as a kid, and I remember what you guys let me do is you let me spend it however I wanted to. And all of a sudden now, boom, baseball cards, bubble gum, video games, whatever I wanted in my world, I was like, I can make this happen. You know, the paycheck wasn't a ton, you know, as a paper boy, but I remember feeling that power of I can do whatever I want. You know, what made you guys want to be like, hey, work is important and we're gonna, he can sit and play video games, which you allowed me to do at times. You're like, hey, you can play video games for a moment, but there also is an element of work that's gonna be in your day at some point. I, I believe that within the growth of the human brain, we have times that speech becomes very important and the speech center grows and it, therefore you have good ability to speak multiple languages if that's what's going on at that time period in your life. And I believe that there is a work, if I'm gonna call it a work zone or a worth work um, part, ethic part of your brain that if you discover that work is fun and beneficial, you've, it's there for life. And as we grow up, we need to not be afraid of work. Work by definition with, um, when you get into physics, is the expenditure of energy. My heart works every second of my life. My brain's working every moment I am awake. It's using up energy. And those are all good things. We decide to go on vacation. Well, that's energy to get planning, to get ready, to pack, to go, to, to, to meet different deadlines and different things. That's all expenditure of energy. And we don't think of that as expenditure of energy. Um, we can go work out in the gym because we need to look good, feel good, something. We expend a lot of energy, but now we come to work and we say, oh, it's expenditure energy. Oh, boo. you know, I don't want to do this. This is hard. This is horrible. It's another form of expenditure of energy. And if you find things that excite you, things that drive you, things that you enjoy, or you turn what you do into an enjoyment, then life suddenly work is not a problem. And you, if you learn that at an early age, then lo and behold, that's just a part of you. And it doesn't, it, it's not like something you have to learn. I know so many people that are scared for their first job and they're 20 something before they get there and they don't wanna do it and they keep finding excuses. And if you start off at an early age dancing, dancing is a part of your life, you know? And if you start off at an early age working, lurking, working will just be a fun part of your life. Now I'm trying to think back because <laughs> how did you teach it me that it was fun? Because I like, the paper out, I remember we sit up late at night folding papers and we have to get up early in the morning to be able to get them out. Uh, you know, even standing on the street corner, sometimes it was cold or trying to sell candy bars. Um, how did you make that fun? Like, I, I, don't, I, I don't even remember. I remember the moments of, you know, it being cold or being like, I'm tired and we're delivering papers and it feels like it's take forever. Um, was that something that you ingrained or it was just something of, Let's do it. And, and I feel like almost the jobs that I had were generally short jobs, meaning something that could get done. It wasn't like go take out the trash, which was a five minute job, but it wasn't something that was like a, a three hour job. It'd be like, I mean, doing the paper route, I think we signed up for 
one and then we picked up another one and I think eventually got to three as I, I started to get, and that would take me, I don't know, two to three hours probably to deliver all the papers. And it was twice a week that I would do that one. Um, I don't know that you always had fun with it, but our goal <laughs> was, was to make it not something mean and miserable, not something okay. punitive. But okay, we're going to have a benefit out of this. You're going to have some money to spend, and we're willing to put time and energy with you so that you develop the concepts of work and we're good work habits and how you stick with it. And every day we were out there, you couldn't skip a day. Um, you know, so it was like, okay, there's some structure to this. Um, and then, you know, part of work that's fun is, is enjoying it with the people you're with. And you sit down and you talk and you laugh while you're folding papers. And maybe you don't remember that. You maybe remember. No, it. I we do. Just, or do. In, the, in the front entryway, yeah. we would all sit down as, I guess, as a family. Everyone would get in and do it together. And we would hang mm -hmm. out and, and fold papers. And, yeah, maybe, maybe it was fun. I mean, I guess what's interesting is, you know, in my life, I have just gotten to a place. A lot of people associate work with pain or work with misery. Mm -hmm. And if I have ever had a job that I'm like, oh, man, this is horrible. I'm like, that's not, I'm out. I'll go find another job and find something that, and even jobs, like I've worked in cafeterias, I've been a janitor, mm -hmm. but with those jobs, it was always with other people. We're like, all right, here we go. Uh, races to see who can get all the trash cans on their floor emptied quicker. Stopwatch goes now, boom, and we're running around, right? Like it's the Daytona 500 <laughs> emptying trash cans. And the, our boss is like, are you guys crazy? You're not gonna get paid as much. And we're like, it doesn't matter because we're gonna go play basketball as soon as we're done. Um, like it was something that was always, we would, even if it was something that seemed monotonous, we would try to find a way to be like, Hey, life is short. Let's enjoy this. And, and I think that that is something now that I think about it has taken me far because I won't do work that I don't enjoy. If I'm not enjoying it, I'm like, that's gone. We we've had a couple clients, you know, in, in advertising that, you know, are rough to work with or haven't done their stuff, but they'll try to blame it on on us and or just very toxic people or companies to be around um and i've i've had to fire them and which it seems crazy because i'm like i want to get more clients but if it gets to a point where i'm like i'm not having fun anymore, i'm like yeah that's it um i'm sorry we're gonna need to part ways uh and i've never ever regretted that once any one of those the minute it goes out like i'm like oh maybe won't make as much money but i'll go home that night go to sleep wake up the next day i'm like oh, i'm so much happier because i made that decision yeah, it's, it's one of those things that as you look at it, you have the ability, and we all have that ability, to turn something that isn't good into something fun. And that becomes creative. And some people just refuse to do it. They want to be toxic, or they want to have it toxic, and you need to move away from the toxic environment. And you got to say, you've got an incredible brain. Use it. How can I make this more enjoyable? How can I make it work better? How can I do it quicker? How can I do it with fun? Who can I have fun with here? And you don't want to say I'm having fun at work because most bosses don't want you to have fun. They want you to be, if you're having fun, you're wasting my time and my money. Um, but the reality is, is you can turn a lot of things into fun with the personalities, with the fun, with the challenges, by looking for ways to do things in fun ways. So no, I like that. I like that. Um, all right, so I've got another question for you. Mm -hmm. uh, this was something that you did when I was little, and I know you. It, it felt like I was now that the movies come out, I was being inceptioned. And you probably you probably haven't seen that movie. It's about mm -hmm. some guys, and they they make people go to sleep, and then they can get into their dreams, and they do stuff, 
that makes them change their perspective on something, but they do it in their subconscious. Mm -hmm. So I feel like as a kid, you would go around the house and put up posters of like, set your <laughs> goals or dreams or, you know, a, a, a goal with a deadline or, you know, things like, there's all these different uh, quotes or that were everywhere. And I remember there was one that you put right in front of the toilet. So every day when I would sit down uh, and go number two, I would see this same business quote. And it was crazy as I remember as a kid being like, I, I wish it was something else to look at, but that was it. I just read that again and again every day. Cause there was, this is before cell phones mm -hmm. when you could just play with your cell phone where you're going to the bathroom. But this is all I had. And now I realize years later, um, oh my gosh, my dad was inception in me putting these little goals and be your, be the boss and go after your dreams and, you know, reach for the stars. All of those were just, you know, put in the house. Is that, like, did you know you were like, ha ha, we're going to, we're making a little, a little CEO here. No, we, we hadn't, didn't have a focus on that. And the reality was, is at that time period in my life, I was looking for success. I was looking how to be successful. And I was needing those posters as much as I was. <laughs> that poster was for you. <laughs> well, it was for me, but it was also for family as well. You know, I, your mother was responsible for the notices that says aim your stream and that kind of thing. <laughs> the health, the health and hygiene kinds yeah, of stuff. Okay, yep. And she would throw up some posters in the bathroom too about how to love more, more deeply and, and the ways you can do that. Now, your dad was the one who was responsible for the success ones. You know, and I must have run through 10 or 15 of those over the years. I don't know if you remember them all in different bathrooms. Um, we even had them in our bathroom. I'd stick them up in my bathroom in front of me. You, know, you probably didn't go there and didn't know that. Um, and sometimes the ones out of my bathroom would go into your bathroom. But sometimes they'd have two or three things. Sometimes I think I had one that had 20 things on at once in different colors. Each one was a different color and stuff to try to attract attention. Each one of them being a saying that you could take and help form good principles and ideas of success off of. So that was just something that came partly of my need, and I wanted to share that because I wanted my family to be successful too and to have, I'd rather have good thoughts and successful thoughts going into your head than just garbage. So if there's someone out there that wants to be a business owner, wants to, to you know, go further, does putting posters up in their world and in their proximity, is that something that you think will affect their long-term success? Or is it something that is just like, it's, it's putting up what you want, like. Years ago, posters were the success thing. Okay, today, yeah. maybe posters today, it may be just every day you're getting something um, a text message or something social from someone, media, yeah. social media type of things that, that give you success items, success things to look at, to focus on and uh, stories to go with. Um, I think we're more involved than just a one line saying today you have a saying and you have a story to go with it. Um, which is maybe what this podcast is about too. Oh yeah, I hope so. Uh, okay, so another story. Um, this is about dealing with difficult situations. Um, and there was a time when we took a trip down to Costa Rica, uh, a volunteer trip, which was something else that you guys did is you were always trying to get me um, to volunteer to see the world. Um, and a lot of times we did it where we would go to third world countries. And I think I got a lot of exposure that you know, in America, we have things very, very good. Um, even if you're not doing well in America, you are still in the 1% of people on planet Earth. Um, and we were down in Costa Rica. Uh, it was the last day of the trip. We're there for two weeks, I think building a community center or a church. 
Um, we finish the project. We go to a water slide that's at a base of a, a volcano. Uh, it's where they filmed Jurassic Park, I think, part mm -hmm. of it. Um, we're all, all these kids, I, I was a sophomore in high school. We're all going down the slides, and, and it was my idea being like, hey, let's all go down at the same time. So we get like 10 kids. The count of three, we all jump into this slide, like a water slide. It, it wasn't very long. I'm um, going down. It was fun until the moment where we all come out. Uh, and it shot out maybe about, it was about four or five feet off the water, right? Mm -hmm. So you'd come out and you'd shoot out and splash in the water. So I'm coming out and I realize I am going to hit the guy right in front of me. So as I shoot out, I kind of twist a little bit and hit him with my back. And the guy right behind me comes in full force, nails me right in the stomach with his feet. I can't breathe. I immediately winds knocked out of me. I come out of the water. I'm, I'm huffing and puffing. I still can't breathe. I get up, I can barely start to breathe. I get on the side and everyone is like, you are as white as a ghost. And they pull me aside, take me to hospital. Long story short, I ended up rupturing my spleen out in the middle of Costa Rica where there wasn't a lot of medical attention. And I remember going, I was un, not unconscious, but super loopy through a lot of it. As we go to clinics and they're like, we need to operate. And, and then we're like, let's go to the hospital or there's a machine that we need to use. And we're driving on bumpy roads at any point in time. They're like, if you move him, he could die. If his, I guess I got a hematoma, which is like a little pinch of it where it was weakened and about to burst. And if your spleen bursts, then you can die because you bleed internally. Is correct. that right? Okay. Correct. Uh -huh. So we're doing this and you were there on the trip. And I remember getting to a place where they were like, we want to operate or we needed to come back. And you had to make a call and the, the, the group was leaving to come back to America and you were like, and Michael Keaton was at the airport. This was 1995 and he was in, he had just been in Batman. So I'm in the airport, I can barely move in a wheelchair with a little IV hooked up to me and we're trying to get me back on the plane. And I remember Michael Keaton, I was like, ah, oh, it's Batman, oh, I don't feel good. Um, I don't know if you remember that. And then an earthquake happened, right? Mm -hmm. When while we're at the airport hanging out, so if Michael Keaton, if you're listening, I was there in that airport when that earthquake happened in a wheelchair. Um, and I didn't get to come up and be like, what's up, Batman? Um, so anyway, so when that's happening, I remember it being a crazy stressful time because people were telling you, your son is about to die if we don't operate right now. And this is in Costa Rica. And you're like, I want to get him back to the States. And we went back and forth. And eventually you made the call to I think there was a lifeline like a, a air ambulance but then they turned around and you're like get them on the plane let's go I go back to the hospital and I ended up staying in the hospital in Sacramento for like two weeks while I recovered with with no operation so it ended up turning out great but in that there was an element of going through an overwhelming situation that didn't look like either outcome was good how do you make decisions when that happens that's a big question. There was a lot involved with that. The story could take us hours to sure, tell. Sure, sure. Um, and we're not going to do that right now. Um, but no, um, sometimes things work out providentially in the right sequence, the right group of people, the right things going on. And we had a number of those happening there. Uh, when you first got sick, we knew immediately. I had another ER nurse with me, and we knew immediately that you ruptured your spleen because you had shoulder pain. And you don't have shoulder pain because you weren't hitting the shoulder, but it's called a referred pain. We went to the nearest clinic, got an IV, took you to this hospital. It was called a hospital. It had no hospital beds. It had no operating room. It only had a few beds in an emergency room under what we would call a carport with open walls. 
um, and they wanted to take you into a room and operate, and they didn't have a blood bank, and you probably would have needed blood to make it through in a surgery. And uh, we had to look very seriously, and they came to me and questioned me and with an interpreter um, and says, we want to take them into surgery. We're going to go in right now. We get everything set to go. And at that moment, I got a call from the nurse that was on the ER nurse, and I said, here's what they want to do. I'm not comfortable with it. And she said to me, Arnie, don't do it. And that's what it took right at that point to say, I, I'm not going to do this. And at that point, they said, okay, we're kicking you out of the hospital. And we said, we got to get transportation to San Jose, the capital. And they said, we're not going to help you. Sign all these documents that say we're not responsible because we think you'll sue us. Um, so it was one of those things, the right people at the right time, the right kind of things. Um, so do you, do you follow the omens just in life and, and kind of, you know, I guess in any scenario, you've got to weigh the options, the pros and cons, and, and do you just make a decision? Do you wait? You know, in that one, it was, you know, the time the clock was ticking, meaning I might not have made it if a decision went one way or the other, you know, in that. Was it just, did, does instincts take over or is it like, well, hey, let's stop for a minute, let's analyze and do the steps or is it just, we're going left, everyone, let's go? Well, at that point we had to make a decision and I didn't feel comfortable having, you know, I had the experience of being in surgery, seeing many splenectomies done in emergency situations and knew what it involved. Okay. And said, you know, this is bigger than what they have the ability to do here. And even though somebody is willing to try it, I'm in a third world country. So had it been me, and they're like, we need to operate on someone's spleen, I'm like, yeah, do it. Sure, yeah, it sounds great. Let's, uh, let's cut them open, pull that guy out. Let's fix him up. And it might have turned out well, and you might have done fine with, without your spleen at that point, but we didn't know. Uh, and you make choices. We were with a, with a religious group, and we did a lot of praying, had a lot of people praying, and we think that God led in a lot of the decisions that were made on that trip. Um, we got down to the hospital in San Jose and they sent us to the wrong hospital. We got there, they didn't have an ultrasound, they didn't have a CT scan, they couldn't see anything about your thing and they wanted to send us to another hospital that was an hour and a half away and the group was leaving for America. And we sat down and prayed at that point and God directed us to take you home on the plane. So we, we snuck an IV in your arm and we had an IV, we got a bunch of bags and that was before TSA. So we were able to sneak you on the plane, hiding the IV, and uh, we gave you boluses of that, and I had uh, uh, some medicines and stuff along with me to help you if we had trouble, and we just watched the clock all the way home um, to make it, and I kept saying, okay, we're halfway to the U.S. If we had to do an emergency landing, we'd be in San Diego, and then I was relieved. That's crazy. <laughs> I didn't want to land in Mexico or Mexico City, which would have yeah. probably not been as good as, as Costa Rica. And that is the story of how you saved my life. That might have been it. That would have been the end of the road for Brian if you hadn't, uh, you hadn't made that call. Well, we, we hope so. You know, it's, uh, uh, we want the best for our kids, and we make decisions, and we don't always know at the time if they're the right ones or not. But uh, in the long run, it came out a good one. So oh, I love it. we're excited for that. All right, two last questions. Um, the first one, is there anything in your life that you haven't done yet that you want to do? And you didn't know this question was no, coming I didn't, either. I yeah, had no, no idea that I, one. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't um, pre, pre, is there anything like on the bucket list or things you're like, man, I really, I want to do that and I haven't done it yet? Probably the only thing is travel and more mission trips. Okay, nice. Yeah, we do a lot of mission trips as 
and go to third world countries and help and and I want to continue doing that. You know, uh, that's a big deal for me. Where um, where have you? Where would be the next place that you want to go that you haven't been to yet? Any countries? Um, nothing off the top of the off the list. What I'm looking for is my wife Laura has been to 96 countries, and I want to get to 100. So I'm looking at different ones. Uh, we may do the Galapagos here before long, uh, and Ecuador. I would dress her up like an Eskimo and take her to Antarctica. Have you uh, guys been to Antarctica? No, what's that's on my bucket list, but Laura is not excited about that because she gets seasick easy and she doesn't want she's scared of the trip across the, Can't the you strait. Just take like a helicopter there and touch uh, down or go chase some penguins? Not quite. Oh. Well <laughs> gotta endure the boat ride. Yeah, you gotta do the boat ride. So for yes, sure. that's Antarctica's on one of my bucket list things. Nice, only four more to go until you get to hundred. That's incredible. That's what Laura, not me. I'm I'm in the sixties, but Laura's in the hundred close to hundred. Gotta gotta get out there more. Yeah. Stop working as much. So that's one of the things. The, the gifts you give make you happy. And one of the, the, the keys of happiness is giving gifts. Yes, we give some to ourselves. But the more you give to others, the greater happiness you get within yourself. And I think mission trips, starting early on when our kids were very young, doing those, we've continued to do probably an average of one to two a year um, for the last 20 years. Um, puts a perspective in us and there's something about giving to somebody who really needs it that makes you happy and worthwhile inside and i don't mind working extra to support these trips and to support other people going on these trips and that comes some of my happiness in my life i don't have to work now i could have retired but i'm still working and i'm enjoying it uh because i support we just finished yeah. um, supporting a school in an island called sao tome africa and we built an eighth grade school there that's being um you as teachers from Brazil because it's Portuguese and their kids there now can get a first class education, first world country type education, which wasn't there before. Oh, I love that. So I, I look at that and that drives me to work on another one, to work on one. Yes, we're going to Peru in three months to work on a school there, um, way down in the desert in the southern part of Peru. That's wonderful. So those are the kind of things that excite me, that get me going, that, that I enjoy is is that constant little bit of giving because that giving brings me in, in inside happiness that I don't get from other things. Oh yeah, I don't I don't remember getting an invitation to that one, so we're gonna have to talk about that later. Has to do with <laughs> the baby coming along or something. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Got, my schedule's full for the next couple of months. All right, last question. Any final words of wisdom for other business owners out there? Um, I know you you've had a successful career. Uh, you've got multiple businesses that you run or operate in real estate and other areas. You know, what, what would be your f parting words of advice to other entrepreneurs, other business owners, people that may have successful businesses, people that may be just starting out today? What would you what would you want to say to them? Getting, you know, part part of our our success as a family has been the fact that I've got to work some overtime and we've used that money for our kids for travel, getting outside the U.S., teaching our kids about a broad, getting them a broader base of what, what society is like and what the world is like, yeah. and then they know more better where they fit. Um, but I wanted to start very early on investing in real estate, and instead we were spending our money on private education and on college and other stuff, and it wasn't until you kids were out of college that I finally began to have money to invest. And I was very fortunate because one of my very best friends 
lectured on health topics and on financial topics. And we were, when we were together, we were always talking about finances, how to get ahead, how to save money here, how to, how to do this, how to uh -huh. make two, two house payments together and only get, uh, have to pay an extra 20 bucks. But I down the road somewhere, you- He gave you all the secret tips. He gave me a lot of stuff, and it was like a mentor because we were always talking. Now, he was always reading more than I was on that. I was reading anesthesia. He was reading finances. But we'd talk, and he'd share a lot, and it put a lot of good uh, things in my mind. So having a good mentor, having someone search for that one, find that one, spend time together. Um, we didn't start investing into real estate until later in life. Uh, I wanted to, but we had to wait. Till I, I wanted to be secure. I didn't want to walk into a business that I was going to fail at. Okay. You know, I didn't want to go in losing money. Um, and so we had to wait until we began, we got to the place that we could start saving money and put a significant amount down. And then eventually we got to the place we bought our houses uh, or properties with cash. And that gave us the success. Getting out of debt was probably one of the key things that really pushed us up above and beyond. Mm -hmm. uh, once we no longer had that, uh, uh, debtor is servant to the lender kind of attitude. It was like, okay, we've got money. How do we want to spend it now? What do we want to do with this? Okay, let's save and let's get something. Uh, the very first property that we ever bought was because my wife was good friends with the people across the street. They died. She knew their son. Their son looked after the house, but he didn't have what it took to go to a real estate agent and sell yeah. it. And finally, she started talking to him. He says, I want to sell it, but I don't know how or what to do. So we stepped in, and no, we weren't a, a killer deal. We got an average good price for the house, but we bought it, knew the things that were wrong with it, fixed it up, and have had a good rental for the last uh, 20 years now. Wow. Um, so it was one of those things that that one we paid cash for uh, and were able to take off and start going. And, and then from there, the second house was a little easier. The next one was a little easier. Um, so I mean, it sounds like the advice you're, you're giving is sometimes success takes time. And that's okay. Like it's building blocks and mm -hmm. it took some time for you to be able to handle some other elements. Then it took some time for saving. And then it took some time for putting that together to be able to make the next, you know, stage or the next business that you want happen. Very true. You know, we didn't get rich quick. We weren't the type that went out there and two years later we were millionaires. <laughs> um, but the part about it is we put together a solid portfolio little by little by little found good renters, found good management companies and other kinds of things. Um, so it happens step by step. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, after this, I'm going to go buy you uh, a lottery ticket. Let's see if we can get rich <laughs> quick as well. So you've done it one way. We'll do it the other way and see if that works. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, it's, My pleasure. It's, it's fantastic to be able to, to chat with you for an hour and, and just, you know, talk stories and, and get advice. I hope the people listening have found this valuable. Um, it's amazing. This father, you know, my father has, has saved my life. Uh, it's just, it's interesting to see how much, you know, how blessed I've been to have a person that is so focused on these core elements that I just thought were normal growing up. And it wasn't until later that you know, my friends are like, yeah, no, our, our dads never you know, said that to us or never did that. Or, you know, they, they were just doing something else and it wasn't, you know, let's help you get a job or, work hard or go see the world so you can have a, a, a different perspective on life. So thank you very much for me. You're um, welcome. No, been a lot of fun. Wonderful. All right. Well, that's it. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Duke of Digital podcast with Brian Meert. Want to network with other business owners? Join our exclusive group, 
at facebook.com slash groups slash Duke of Digital. Fancy the Duke? Leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app and you could be mentioned on the show. The Duke of Digital was produced by Advertise Mint and recorded in Hollywood, California. All rights reserved.